Welcome to the WinFL Show. Welcome to the Outer Hebrides. This is the WinFL Show. I'm your host, Dean McKinnon. I'm joined this week by Jake McGee. Hello, sir. Hello, indeed. And Dave Somerville. Good evening. Good evening, gentlemen, to the two of you. So there we go. Week five is done. Week five is done in the NFL. the The season is flying past absolutely flying past so we've got loads to cover uh, in this podcast we're going to jump straight in to the uh, first the week five game the thursday kickoff between the chicago bears and the washington commanders at fedex field in front of sixty-three thousand seven hundred twenty-seven fans and oh my goodness gentlemen i thought the commanders were going to win this <laughs> boy was i wrong um the bears jumped out to a 10 nothing lead in the first quarter uh, and the commanders tried to rally back they really can get into done it was 27 to 3 at the half and then the commanders started coming back scored a few points but the bears took it away there to end up with a 40 to 20 final score um justin fields looked much better in this game just two weeks in a row he's played well dave we'll put it over to you bears commanders what did you make of this one well, it turns out that you are a week late in predicting that DJ Moore was going to go for 200 yards, uh, or DJ Moore was a week late, uh, but he did it against the Commanders, and he did it in style. It, it was amazing. Justin Fields looked like he could beat any defense in that first half, and I don't, I don't say that lightly, because he was incredible in that first half. Absolutely amazing. I've never seen him play like that. He will probably never play like that again. He wa- he wasn't just he, he was fairly mobile. It's you know he, he had eleven carries, fifty seven yards, but he was a very competent pocket passer, and he made some massive throws, especially to DJ Moore. But you know, to take nothing away from the Bears in general, they were an, this is this is the best I've seen them for years. You know, you can arguably say it's one of their best, if not the best, performances of the decade. Uh, right here against Commanders. And I think it was basically summed up at halftime when they went in 27 points to three ahead of Ron Rivera, who looked absolutely checked out. He was in in no way... He just didn't look interested whatsoever. Um, But yeah, just to elaborate, DJ Moore, eight catches for 230 yards and three touchdowns. uh, Justin Fields, completion rate doesn't look great, 15 or 29. But when you add in 282 yards, four touchdowns, and no picks, that is, again, one of the games of his life. He's probably not going to do that again. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that I mean, there, there wasn't a whole lot else to sum up. They, come on, they tried to get a bit of a fight back. Um, one of the standouts, though, uh, was some stats around Sam Howell. Now, he was 37 of f- 51, 388 yards, two touchdowns, one pick and five sacks. Now, uh, just I'll, I'll give you a quick, very quick bonus random stat early. That Sam Howell has now been sacked 29 times in the first five games. That puts him on course for an NFL record in the season of 99 sacks. If that happens, the current record is David Carr in 2002, who got sacked 76 times. If that happens, Sam Howell will be in a wheelchair before week 17. That is just it. The commanders cannot let that happen whatsoever. Um, I mean, I mean, they're, they're, they'll probably be thinking, how on earth, did, or Sam Howell will be thinking, how on earth did I get stats like that and still lose by 20 points? 
just say it's it's unheard of. But I want to give a massive shout out to Greg Stoltman because Greg Stoltman had the game of his life. Yeah, uh, Strowman, sorry, he had the game of his life. Seven tackles, one sack, one interception. Um, and you know it it was it was a key interception. It was a brilliant interception as well. Um, look, uh, when I, I said before, the Commanders had a chance this year. They don't. They don't, if they play anything like that every week in, week out. They they, they just don't. I, 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 there's not a lot to say other than it was one of the garbage actually looked good and the other garbage just carried on being garbage. But uh, Sam Hull putting up amazing numbers and yet still getting beat. So... Uh, yeah, I mean, Justin Fields is great for two weeks on the bounce there. I'll see if you can carry that on through into the next game. Uh, oh, but we're... And, and also, very quickly though, Brian Rob- Robinson, the running back for the Commanders, six carries for 10 yards. That was the rushing unit of the Commanders. You cannot win a game by only rushing it six times and getting 10 yards for, uh, and Sam Hull through 51 times. Yeah, they need. We really need to get that rushing game going in Washington, and that offensive line, as you mentioned, is absolutely appalling. Ninety-nine sacks are on course for it's just unheard of, uh, or nearly six sacks per game. So we're moving to London, where the Jaguars took on the Buffalo Bills and. Tottenham Hotspur Stadium in front of 61,253 fans. By all accounts, this was an upset 25-20 win for the Jaguars. A very low-scoring uh, affair. The Jaguars actually went up 11-0 in the first quarter. Thank you. Thanks to uh, Z-Jones' six-yard pass from Trevor Lawrence and a Travis Etienne run for the two-point conversion. It was 11-7 after three quarters. But in the fourth quarter, things really kicked off. It was an enjoyable game by all accounts, despite the fact that it was low scoring. Um, the Jaguars really, really looked much more efficient in this one. Etienne, 136 yards on 26 carries, two touchdowns. He also had four catches for 48. And Calvin Ridley, again, a big target for Trevor Lawrence. He had seven catches for 122. Josh Allen had, had a great game. 27 to 40, 359 yards, two touchdowns. But they really could not get that running game going in Buffalo. And turnovers. Turnovers again. Both of these teams are turning the ball over. I mean, Trevor Lawrence fumbled three times in this game. Uh, lost two of them. Josh Allen had an interception. Um, there was also a couple of fumbles on the side of the um, Bills as well. As well as this absolutely horrendous lateral, if that's what you want to call it, from uh, Stefan mm. Diggs, I think it was, in that final, final drive there by the Bills. It was just bizarre. Dave, did you watch this game? I watched in 40. I couldn't watch it on Sunday, but I watched in 40. Uh, but one of the things I did pick up on really uh, was that it, the Jaguars offensive line was just struggling to protect Trevor Lawrence. Uh, you know, and uh, the three fumbles reflect that um, when he was finding his target. So, I mean, Calvin Ridley and Christian Kirk were almost always there every single time. Between the pair of them, they racked up 200 yards. So that that that's brilliant in itself. And just that final uh, interception from a, a former Ram, uh, Darius Williams uh, was basically the, tur- uh, the the game in hand there and yeah fantastic play from the Jaguars and their London record goes on because it's a phenomenal record if I remember rightly I'm not sure what their actual record is but I'll tell you what the Bills will be most upset about uh, losing Matt Milano he looks mm. like he's out for I think they said he might be out for the season now uh, that's a huge loss if that's the case for the Bills they've had so many injuries 
especially on the defensive side uh, of the ball. Last week they lost a Trey White uh, and now Matt Milano, who might be a, a bigger loss. I mean, he was the driving force in that uh, engine room of the linebacking core there. They did get Von Miller back, but injuries are racking up for these Buffalo Bills. Um, Jake, quick question to you. What do you make of these Buffalo Bills? One week they look absolutely red hot. And then this one, they just didn't look good at all. What do you think of the Bills? I'm hoping and willing to kind of give them a pass on this. From the sounds of it, they didn't travel to London until late. Obviously, Jacksonville had the, the back-to-back week, so mm-hmm. they had a bit of an advantage there. And people did say Buffalo Bills looked jet-lagged. It took them until about the third quarter to, to look like the Buffalo Bills. Um, it'd be interesting to see them bounce back, and they normally do, and I wouldn't uh, want to be playing them this week. And uh, the team that are playing them, we'll uh, get onto that later, we'll also won't want to be facing them either. So I think the main thing for them, for London, wasn't just the loss. It was, uh, like you mentioned, Matt Milano and all the injuries. That he wasn't the only one. I think Von Miller even started this game, mm-hmm. but left injured. So just a sheer amount of injuries. And then for Jacksonville, they're really good when they don't play in Jacksonville, which isn't great. <laughs> um, and then there's just a one play where it was a third and four. It was a designed run play. Lawrence checks out the play when he sees Calvin Ridley one-on-one with a safety with three minutes and nine to go. And it's just that that kind of trust he has in, in Calvin Ridley and, and the matchup to check out the play and change that. And it was a very important play. So Jacksonville will be looking forward to, to London next year, probably. I think they definitely will. Um, now, you mentioned Trevor Lawrence there, you know, obviously re- reading the situation check and uh, changing the play. I'm going to talk a bit about that later on because he is showing some wisdom beyond his years. Uh, but we are going to move on, gentlemen, and we come to the Carolina Panthers and the Detroit Lions and the Battle of the Big Cats at Ford Field. The Panthers came in hoping to get a win under their belt in front of 63,648 fans, but it was not to be. The Detroit Lions uh, just absolutely crushed the Panthers 42 to 24 in this game and it wasn't even close I mean it was it was 35 to 10 uh, in the fourth quarter the Panthers could get nothing done and I'm really starting to worry that it might just be the fact that Bryce Young's in a bad bad situation here because he's shown some flashes and like a lot of the interceptions he's thrown because he's thrown a few now you know, it's because he's putting the ball down the field. It's not like it's it's just a terrible throw, but although you could argue like one of them was pretty, uh, I don't want to use the word egregious, but he, it was a silly mistake that he made there. Um, Dave, it's over to you again. Lions, Panthers, what did you think? It's just, this is a, a Lions. I've never seen Detroit with a team like this. Even even if you include kind of Matt Staff and uh, Megatron era, the, this team is just something different. And it looks like they're willing to put their body on the line for Dan Campbell, regardless of the situation. And, you know, I don't blame them. I'm on that bandwagon as well, exactly the same as they are. But it pains me to say, Goff throwing for three touchdowns uh, was one of the kind of highlights of the game. But then on defense, the, the way that they've... Um, they, they, obviously, we knew that they were just going for it week in, week out with the, the offense. But this defense has just really stepped up even more. Aiden Hutchinson should have been first pick in the draft. Of course he was. But he came up with another pick. And uh, that's it's actually set a little record because um, he used his right hands to pick up the very short pass. And it was only in the first quarter. But he becomes the first NFL defensive lineman 
to four interceptions in his first two seasons. Never been done in history. And Trayvon Walker is kind of trading water, uh, you know, to be justified as a first pick there uh, in the draft uh, two years ago. But, um, yeah, just look, I mean, if you want to just look at some of the stats, uh, Goff didn't even throw it that much. But when he did, he threw it very competently. 20 or 28 for 236 yards and three touchdowns. No picks. He was sacked a couple times, which is maybe something they can work on with the offensive line. But I know they have had some injuries. Um, also saw Jamison Williams back in after his gambling suspension as well. Good to see him back. But I tell you what, Jared Goff, he didn't have a favorite receiver in this game. He was throwing it everywhere and people were catching it everywhere. So, uh, you know, no qualms about that. Um, Bryce Young does have a new favorite wide receiver. And I think teams are going to really pick up on this. And it is the veteran, Adam Thielen, uh, because he 11 receptions for 107 yards. Uh, and Thielen looks, he looks really, really good right now. The problem is that not a whole lot of the Panthers look really good. Like we said in, in uh, previous games, turning the ball over. It's, it was just, it was horrible to watch it sometimes. Uh, but obviously, since I was cheering on the Lions, and of course, in Sky Sports Studio, in Duckerman, Sue was there. So I had my Sue Lions top on, which I have, uh, which is a, a pride and joy kind of thing uh, that I have. I don't know why he's a former Ram, but you know, well, who cares? It was, it was a great game. Yeah, oh, absolutely. It, it, it was brilliant. But um, yeah, so I, I'm disappointed in, in the Panthers because I think they're putting Bryce Young into quite a not the best situation. It's not his fault. He's a rookie, but uh, the Panthers are 0-5 um, at, at the moment, and I don't really see that changing. Um, it, Bryce Young was picked off twice in the first half, and then Miles Sanders also lost a fumble. Um, so, yeah, it's it's not looking good for the Panthers. They've got some foundations for the future, but the Lions are just wrecking balls at the moment. It's brilliant to see. And, uh, I mean... The, uh, the only thing for the Lions, though, is that Mayo Mosley, he left the game in the first quarter and he just cannot catch a break because he's been injured so many times. And again, he's down on what could be a bad a bad knee injury as well. The other one is that um, Amon Racine Brown also um, were, was inactive as well, as was Brian, ba- Brian Branch uh, and Jameer Gibbs as well. So, yeah, Lions, they don't seem to be slowing up despite injuries, which is what happened to them last year. But now they're 4-1. The Panthers are on 5. Teams at polar opposites. And I think the scoreline flatters the Panthers, let's be honest. And the Lions should have won by even more. But yeah, Detroit, there should be a lot of positivity in that city now. Uh, Jake, just before we move on, Dave mentioned Aidan Hutchinson there. The man had an, a sack, another sack, an interception, pass defensed. He was tackling. Now, we, we spoke about the other, uh, the other week there, TJ Watt. Um defensive player of the year favorite guys like nick bosa would you put hutchinson into that bracket he's you i mean he doesn't get the same sort of publicity as someone like tg watt uh primarily because the the actual sack totals aren't as high obviously but he is a game disruptor what do you make of him jake I think he's a great player and that interception was absolutely superb the fact that i don't know how he caught it you know there's some teams that would play him a wide receiver after seeing that catch but I wouldn't put him in the same level as these kind of top, top stars. But at the same time, he's very, very young and a lot of promise. On the other side, I'm not sure. And it's been happening a lot um, on other podcasts and media. I'm not sure where all this Bryce Young sympathy comes from. CJ Stroud, a rookie head coach, 
no weapons really. Uh, Anthony Richardson, rookie head coach, no weapons really. Pa- Panthers, he may have been the number one pick. Panthers weren't the number one team. They weren't the worst team in the NFL. They traded for him. They were number nine. He, they, they went out, got Miles Sanders. They got Chuba Hubbard. They got Adam Thielen. They got Jonathan Mingo. They got DJ Chart. Got Hayden Hurst. I'm, I don't know. Maybe that's biased because I'm not particularly fans of the Panthers. But I don't understand why he's getting so much slack. Other I'm rookie not, quarterbacks not, have not been. Uh, no, I, no, I'm not saying like here. Hey, I'm just talking in general from the media. Everyone's like, oh, it's a really tough situation for him. He's number number one pick, but he's not really the number one pick because the team drafted him isn't the you know the Cleveland Browns who were drafting Tim Couch and Johnny Manziel because they're the worst team in the NFL. They were the number nine. They traded up to get him. He's gone into a better situation than others before him and others even this year. I'm not seeing it. Yeah, he's he's not looked good. He's really not looked good. Um, I think I'm not. I can, obviously, I can't speak what other people are seeing about him, but I think it's just more the fact that he's looked so bad that people are just going, "What is going on here? Is he really just not a very good quarterback, or is it a case of it's the situation? It shouldn't be the situation, uh, given that you know who his coach is, and as Dave mentions, Adam Thielen's there. I mean. He, it's not like he doesn't have weapons. Jube Howard, as you mentioned, although the running game once again did nothing in this game. Um, it could be offensive line. It could just be that he's not a very good quarterback. I hope that's not the case um, for his own sake. But, you know, we, we've seen number one picks totally bust out before. It's going to happen again. I'm not saying he's going to do that, but he needs to do something right because he has not looked good this year. Um, Speaking of not looking good, gentlemen, we're moving on to Gillette Stadium. Oh, my word. In front of 64,628 fans, New Orleans Saints went into Gillette Stadium, still keep calling it Foxborough, and absolutely whipped the New England Patriots 34 to nothing. This game was never in doubt. It was never close. And I've, I've, I've given up on Mac Jones after this performance. I thought he was absolutely horrendous. Um, Jake, it's over to you. Pats, your Saints, what did you think? Uh, I thought that the Saints, who were last in league in motion, last in league in red zone touchdowns, um, through fans and media attention, uh, the offensive coordinator seems to have taken note, and lo and behold, all three of uh, or all of the Saints' offensive touchdowns were set up by motion. Uh, they went three for three for touchdowns in the red zone. It was a completely different team. I mean, still a very struggling offense and getting carried by the defense. Um, just the defense is playing absolutely lights out. Uh, the Patriots, on the other hand. Always known for kind of its offensive line, um, their special teams, kind of a Bill Belichick staple. Now you've traded away Shaq Mason, you've traded away Nick Falk, and both of those units suck. Uh, it's a very worrying time for the Patriots. Um, you know, understand last couple of weeks they've had no Matt Judon and Christian Gonzalez through to injuries, but it's just an absolute nothing display and. I mentioned it every week, and I will continue to mention it. You pay Juju over Jacoby. Well, one went a pretty good week for for Juju Smith-Schuster. He went three catches for six yards. Uh, So a good good week for him, better than some weeks. Uh, Jacob Myers, on the other hand, went seven for 75 and a touchdown. So whoever's the Patriots GM making all these decisions should be shot. And 
last time I checked, the GM was Bill Belichick. So really, I like to give him a lot of slack because he's earned it, but it's just questionable decisions. Like I say, they drafted a rookie kicker, got rid of Nick Folk, who later on when I talk about the Titans, I'll tell you how good Nick Folk is. So strange decisions. On the flip side, at least the Saints seem to be making good decisions. We paid Carl Granderson, and he's already shown his worth. Um, his new contract that he got this year, couple of weeks into the season, we paid him, and he hasn't slowed down. He had a sack, had a tackle. He forced the pick six that Honey Badger got, which was his 30th career interception. And it was just a, a complete game from the, the Saints, which was nice to see. I still have a lot of questions about the offense. Um, and the defense love beating up bad passes. So when you come against Mac Jones, that, that helps. Um, so I'm not ready to... Forgive the Saints or crown the Saints. I'm still dubious, but it was a nice weekend, at least this time. Uh, it certainly was. Um, now, you mentioned Bill Belichick there. The uh, it's Bill O'Brien. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know how he got another job, but I do because it was Belichick. Um, it was an awful offensive performance. Absolutely horrendous. Taking nothing away from the Saints defense. They they looked very sharp indeed. But um over the last two games over the last two games, the New England Patriots have lost by a combined score of seventy two to three. It's just absolutely horrendous. Um and you know they're they're going to face Josh McDaniels next week, so we'll we'll talk about that uh, later on. But th- this this New England team is absolutely atrocious at the moment. Something drastic definitely needs to happen. But you're saying, Jake, I thought they looked absolutely fantastic in this one, and long may it continue. So, gentlemen, we're going to move on to Lucas Oil Stadium where the Tennessee Titans took on the Indianapolis Colts in front of 65,287 people. You mentioned Nick Folk, Jake. Uh, We're going to put it over to you. The Colts come away with a 23-16 victory. And the other thing that we have all, all three of us, have been talking about for the past, well, since the off-season, the value of a good backup quarterback. Jake, Titans, Colts. Take it away. Yeah, that is my main kind of look at this game. Uh, I'll start with Nick Folks, you know, as we, we were just talking about him. Inside 40 yards, he's made 66 straight. I believe it might even be 67 straight. Uh, he's 13 for 13 overall this season. He's just playing absolutely lights out, doing his job, which is the most important thing for a kick to do. Uh, I think the biggest winner this week, though, was Jonathan Taylor. Um, off the pop list, gets a, a nice big contract. And thank God he got that contract sorted before Zach Moss decided to go 23 of 165. Two touchdowns, caught two balls for 30 as well. Uh, he's not ready to play second fiddle. He's not ready to, to welcome Jonathan Taylor back. And like I say, I think he, he timed that very nicely, Jonathan Taylor, because if he hadn't uh, got that contract, I'm not sure they'd be as willing this week to say, yeah, here is all this money. We desperately need you because Zach Moss is certainly shouting out his own case. Now, the bad news for the Colts is that Anthony Richardson has played four games. He missed one. He's played four games. He's only finished one of those. Um, And as you mentioned many times before, even at the the origins of this podcast, we've talked about how valuable a backup and a good backup quarterback can be. Well, Gardner Minshew, in relief appearances, where Richardson hasn't been able to finish the game, has gone 30 of 37 for 326 yards and a touchdown. 
overall, including his starts. He's gone 57 of 83, no interceptions. He's not had a sack in three of the four games. He had five in the Ravens one, so it looks like he's had five in four games, but in three of them, he's not took a sack at all. Uh, and that kind of broke a streak for the Colts. They'd lost five in a row versus the Titans, and they hadn't won at home since October last year. Um, so setting a few things right in Indianapolis. Absolutely. Uh, Dave, uh, I'll put very briefly, we'll put it over to you. Uh, I mean, D- uh, Jake's absolutely right there. Zach Moss was just, he was flying everywhere. But Gardner Minshew, what do you make of this guy? I mean, he was a starting quarterback. And he sort of bounced around the league a couple of times. Um, he was in, you know, I think he was in Philly for a while. He was moving around. He comes here and he's coming in as a backup, looking really good. And as Jake mentioned, we've been talking about this since, I'm not going to say episode D-dots. one. Yeah. But D-dots, <laughs> really, yeah. right from the beginning, get a good, solid, you don't need to have, you know, the rebirth of Dan Marino as your backup quarterback but you need a solid backup quarterback. And we've seen time and time again, teams, when their quarterback goes down, it's absolutely horrendous. Um, what what do you think of Gardner Minshew? And obviously, you know, Richardson, I'm sorry, Jake, did you say, is is he going to be out for some games? I think they're saying uh, initially, because it's the same kind of injury as Derek Carr, so it didn't sound too bad uh, with an AC joints, but I'm believing now they're saying like six, eight, ten weeks. You know, like, you know it's going to be a while from Sons of It's so obviously worse than than Derek Carr, so we're definitely going to get a, a healthy showing of Minshew Mania. Uh, so, yeah, Dave, I mean, that, that's going to hurt. Richardson has looked, I mean, he may not be the most efficient quarterback in the NFL, but he's looked absolute must-watch television when he's been on the ball. But we again, we said from week one, Richardson, he needs to look after himself. He hasn't done. Minshew's in. Dave, what do you think the Colts are going to look like with Gardner Minshew uh, under centre? I think they're going to look even better. Uh, Richardson's, uh, uh, the word that I was going to use there is, is exciting when you were doing uh, that description. I, I, he's, he's a very exciting quarterback. You don't know what to expect from him. The same can be said regarding Minshew, but maybe not in the diff- in the same way because you just don't know what outfit he's going to uh, appear on at the, at the the press conferences after because it, I'm getting serious Cam Newton vibes from Gardner Minshew <laughs> with this range of uh, outfits. But yeah, it's, there was like a kind of mini market emerging the last couple of years as for the backup QB position. You know, you at the moment, it seems to be around five, six million a year seems to be like the kind of going rate for a good backup quarterback. And uh, Gardner Minshew fits that down to the letter. He's probably one of the best there. Uh, and the stats that Jake just read off there, it shows that he, he doesn't want to be a backup. He wants to be the quarterback. He wants to be the franchise quarterback. Um, and, yeah, I mean, just on the situation with Jonathan Taylor, have you ever seen a more cult thing to happen? That the guy, they, they they pay the guy, and the guy that they've replaced him with for the first few weeks of the season sets up 165 yards, like consecutive mass amount of yardage in these games. And yet the, the other team on the ball, the Titans, they threw 35 times in this game with Tannehill, uh, sorry, 34 with Tannehill, once with they're one of their elite running back in Derrick Henry, which incomplete, surprise, surprise. But Derrick Henry only got 13 carries, 43 yards. So you've got the case of where the Titans used Derrick Henry almost as a backup uh, quarterback in this game. The Colts brought on their backup, Garner Minshew, and they come away with the win. And the Colts have a winning record after five weeks, which not many of us expected. So, yeah, well, it's an exciting, exciting times 
uh, for numerous reasons uh, in Indianapolis. But uh, hopefully Anthony Richardson gets back soon, though. Yeah, um, you know, you mentioned Danny Henry. I, I didn't mention DeAndre Hopkins, who looked oh, really yes, good yeah. in this game. Really, really good in this game. And actually, Derek Henry's pass to him at the back of the end zone. He was out by an mm-hmm. inch. That could have been an incredible touchdown pass from Derek Henry, but it wasn't to be. So, gentlemen, we are moving on yet again, and we come to the Houston Texans and the Atlanta Falcons at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. In front of 69,461 fans, and this one uh, went right down to the wire with the Falcons winning this one. Time expired with a young Hoku 37-yard field goal uh, to give them a 21-19 victory. Jake, Texans, Falcons, what did you think? One team I enjoy watching, one team I don't enjoy watching. I'll let you figure out which one. Uh, Desmond Ritter, uh, though, rises from the ashes, um, down one with one minute 49 left. Desmond went five of five and helped the Falcons to a 21-19 win. Alex, say thanks for that 37-yard field goal as the time expired, which is always nice for the kicker when you don't have to go back and kick it off. You know, that is it. You get to walk off. Um Again, another cliche in terms of any quarterback's best friend is a tight end, especially a young quarterback. Uh, and the tight end room had 14 catches for 176 yards for the Falcons. They got big catches and production from London and Pitts in the same game, which we were starting to think was unheard of. Um, weird one, because uh, Bijan Robinson, this is not meant to slight Bijan Robinson at all, uh, because honestly, some of the nastiest cuts I've seen on, on a football field since Barry Sanders. But Tyler Algier outcarried him for the second time. The Falcons are 2 0 when they do this. So. Kind of feels strange when they give Tyler Algier the ball more than Bijan, they win. I don't know if there's anything to read between that because, like I say, it's not like Bijan Robinson's not an electric player. Uh, for the Texans, though, it's another solid show from CJ Stroud 20 35, 249 yards, had a touchdown, no sacks, no interceptions. Just the Falcons did enough to win. Like I say, when uh, I saw the Texans take the lead, and I was like, the Falcons have had a good game, but you know. They won't do it now. Desmond Ritter proved me wrong. He see, took their team down the field, 100%, 5 of 5, got them in position, won the game. Shut a lot of people up, kind of give himself a bit more rope for now. I um, I was beginning to think, like you, that London Pitts just had, had given up on ever seeing the ball this season. Uh, but they did, you know, they combined for, was it a 13 catches, 14 catches? Uh, some big ones as well. Some some really big ones. Um, so yeah, but and, and I'm with you on CJ Stroud. Solid performance. He has looked really good this season. Really, really good this season. I've been very impressed with CJ Stroud. Um, so we're going to move on, gentlemen, and we come to the Baltimore Ravens facing the Pittsburgh Steelers at Akershire Stadium. In front of 67,272 people and the Steelers, Jake, you called it. You called it. Steelers come away with a 17 to 10 win. And before I hand it over to you, Jake, um, because I know this this is your game, you're going to be talking about it. But if I don't get the uh, Ravens wide receivers off my chest, I might explode. I watched this game and I don't remember the last time I saw a worse performance by an entire receiving group. Uh, they just did not want to catch passes in this game. What did you make of this one, Jake? I was like watching a week one Thursday night football and uh, the Chiefs against the Lions. 
Nobody could catch the ball. Uh, and yeah, the Steelers didn't win this game, I'm afraid. The Ravens lost it. The Ravens should have won this game by 20. It should not have even been close. They dropped three clear touchdowns. They lost a fumble. They threw an interception. They had a punt blocked for a safety. It was just carnage. Um, they were up 10-3 with a 41-yard field goal. Uh, instead, on a fourth and two, I think they were trying to catch them off sides. Um, Tyler Linderbaum in the center seemed to think that he saw a, a stealer jump so he snapped it Lamar Jackson wasn't expecting a snap because it wasn't the plan um, so he ends up throwing it away and it's just, you got Justin Tucker why are you trying to play them off sides at 10-3 up just kick the ball with Justin Tucker and go 13-3 to up go make it a two score game it's not rocket science it's kind of overthinking it I think um, and speaking of overthinking it Harbaugh has held the Steelers to three points through three quarters on four occasions the Ravens are 0-4 in these games. If you can hold a team to three points through three quarters and you can't win that game, that is very, very concerning. Um, and sadly for the Ravens, that would have made them 3-0 against the AFC North all on the road. They would have been in absolute driving seat of this division. Uh, but ultimately, Mike Tomlin and a winning season, they are inevitable. It's it's meant to be. Uh, Dave, I'm going to just quickly get your thoughts on. Did you watch this one at all? That the I just I couldn't. The receivers. I've never seen receivers just not even attempt to catch balls. It is like bouncing off their helmets and their their chest. And you're thinking, what are you doing? It was awful. Mm-hmm. And and the thing, the worry, even worrying thing though for Baltimore is, is that Mark Andrews was in on, is included in this. So you know the ever faithful Mark Andrews, one of the best tight ends in the league. He was targeted ten times. He did catch six of them, but Zay Flowers, who was touted as one of the best to come out of the draft, was really guilty of some of these. And I I, I felt really bad for Lamar. He he had a good game. Lamar was good. You know his throws weren't that off. Um, but there's just there's only so much you can do uh, when the people you're throwing to can't catch the ball. Uh, I mean, even at one point, I was thinking, oh my word, uh, OBJ is getting involved in this as well. So it's just, yeah, I I don't know how this game ended up the way it it does. Just Mike Tomlin is either he's got some sort of mysterious masters in psychology that he's completely psyched out the Ravens uh, receiving unit completely. And this is the outcome of it. Uh, it's just uh, this game, this game should have been over way before the fourth quarter and the Ravens just couldn't get anything done. And somehow you'd still 10, three uh, going into the final quarter. Steelers come away with 17, 10 win. Just un- unreal. It is unreal. Uh, and uh, moving on, we are now coming to the Miami Dolphins and the New York Football Giants at Hard Rock Stadium in Miami. In front of 65,654 people, the Dolphins did everything they could to try and keep this game close for the Giants. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the, the Dolphins should have won this by 50 points, but they just kept letting the Giants back into it and back into it and back into it. Uh, but eventually they came away with a win here and it was a spectacular showing again from Devon Achan, but it does look like he actually got injured in this game and is going to miss some time. He had 11 rushes for 150 one yards and one 
touchdown. And I was looking at Achan's stats through through the games here. His so far this season, and, and I'm not making any of this up. He's got 38 attempts for 460 yards, five touchdowns. That is a 12.1 average per attempt. 12.1 yards per carry. This guy's on. And unfortunately, as I say, he got injured in this game. Uh, Daniel Jones just looked terrible yet again. Six sacks in this one. At least he didn't fumble this time. But Tyrod Taylor had to come in. Um, he went 9-12 for 86 yards. Took one sack. He, he looked so much better than Daniel Jones did. But to, uh, what can you say, 22 of 30, 308 yards. Two touchdowns, although he did throw two interceptions. Um, there was also two fumbles by the Dolphins as well. Uh, Achan lost his, uh, Raheem Mostert didn't lose his fumble. Um, and Mostert himself went 10 for 65 and a touchdown. The running game in Miami has looked excellent this year. Absolutely excellent. We knew the passing attack was going to be good. We knew that. We said, you know, as long as Tua is healthy, then the Dolphins are going to be good. Uh, but I don't think anyone expected this rushing attack. The Dolphins ended up winning this one 31-16. to 16. Uh, But that scoreline really flatters the Giants in this one. It was, it almost looked like men against boys out there. Uh, but as I say, the Dolphins kept just making silly mistakes, kept bringing the Giants back into it, couple of interceptions, fumble, doing everything they could, including a, an absolutely horrendous, horrendous throw by um, Tua for a 102-yard pick six by Jason Pinnock. I will throw it out to you guys, Dave, just very quickly. Not, not so much talking about the game. It was actually a really boring game despite the fact that there was plenty of points in it, at no point did the Giants ever look like they were going to win, even when it looked like it was getting slightly closer. Um, do you think the Giants are done with Daniel Jones? Do you think that this man has any future in the NFL? Because from that performance and past performances so far, I'm struggling to see it, because let's not forget, they won a playoff game last year with Daniel Jones. You talk about regression. He has looked awful this year. Dave, what do you think? Do I think they're done with Daniel Jones? Uh, I mean, I was hoping they were last year for their sakes. But, uh, you know, then, of course, he gets a brand new contract, like multi-million dollar contract. Um, it, it, it's, it was just awful. I mean, they, you know, they couldn't get the running game going. Daniel Jones needs some support in the running game. That's why Saquon Barkley uh, is, is so vitally important for them. Um, but yeah, I mean, just a little shout as well to Tyreek because he was eight receptions for 181 yards. That, yeah, that's you, you just can't stop that. I'll I'll, um, I'll keep I will keep it short. I, I do want to highlight one thing though. The the Dolphins are on the bye next week. Okay, now after the bye week, the Dolphins will have Taron Armstead, Jalen Ramsey, Jalen Phillips, Nick Needham, uh, uh, hopefully Isaiah Wynn. Chase Claypool will be available, not that he's really necessary. And uh, the only uh, issue will be that Devon uh, Achain? Uh, yeah, Achan. Achan. Yes, Achan. I, I don't know why. It's, it's, it's spelled Achain with an A N E, but it's it's Achan. 
Yeah, well, even when the commentator was saying his name, I was still saying it wrong in my head. So that <laughs> it says a lot right there. But yeah, so that will really be the only one that uh, they're missing. But Raheem Moster, uh, he he still looks really competent and good as well. So the Dolphins are, are about to be even more terrifying. Um, and I mean, I, I hope for the Giants' sake, if they can either uh, tank a little bit, probably keep Daniel Jones there, or they can give Tyrod Taylor a chance. Um, I, I don't see Tyrod Taylor starting next week, but I see him coming in at least two or three more games this year, uh, during the games, I should say. Uh, Jake, um, the Dolphins. Jalen Waddle came back. Uh, you, you would say not a, not a slow start, five receptions, 51 yards and a touchdown. Why did they sign Chase Claypool? Do you, have you got any idea why they would sign someone who was absolutely awful over, over, the, over the first four weeks of the season? What do you make of that signing? D- did the Dolphins need him? And what do you make of uh, Dave's talk about Daniel Jones there? I, I think they should just like sit him and put um, Tyler Taylor in. But he did sign a massive contract. So they might be saying, you know, we, we need a bit of money back. What do you reckon? I'd be surprised if he starts this week, Daniel Jones, with a neck injury. But that neck injury, that was he had a season-ending neck injury in 2021, so I wouldn't be rushing him back for a multitude of reasons, <laughs> not first the injury. Um, for the Dolphins, they've mentioned some of the players that'll be getting back after the bye. They play Panthers and they've got a bye. Well, it's not quite uh, Ajan, uh, but Jeff Wilson has just come off the IR and has re- resumed training this week. So it's kind of like a revolving door. Achan goes out, Jeff Wilson goes in, um, who will help Raheem Mostert. So that, they'll be okay in that um, part. For me, I think there was a big improvement for the Giants this week. They only allowed seven sacks. That was 11 last week. So that's, that's you know... The step in the right direction. They are getting their quarterback killed. They are getting their running back killed. But at least they're getting them less killed. I, I mean, you know what? Baby steps. Baby steps. Baby steps. Uh, something needs to be done. This, this, this Giants offensive line is appalling. It really is. But did you see the uh, offensive lineman, I say, is Evan Neal? Um, went on Twitter yes. last week or a week ago saying that you know when people were calling him out being like uh, the lion doesn't worry about the sheep and these guys flip burgers and I'm a real deal and then holy I, moly yeah I've just just before yeah there was a video that, that was posted on Twitter about it uh, he also said they flip hot dogs that's not how you cook hot dogs do, do you know no, it's no, not you, you, you well, he'll, 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 he'll find out <laughs> He'll find out soon with some of the play he had this week. Oh, my God. He was just letting them pass. It was like security at a football stadium. They just let you pass. They give you a pat down and go, on you go. There was one uh, that I did see the clip on um, on Twitter, and X, whatever you want to call it, um, and he was so slow getting out of his stance for, from, the, from the snap that it literally looked like he just wasn't paying attention and the, the defender was right behind him. He looked garbage. Um, so, yeah, maybe you don't concern yourselves with other people's opinions, Evan, but maybe you should and just start <laughs> saying, you know, maybe these guys are right. One little bonus random stat as well. Tyreek Hill set the fastest um, speed of the season so far um, when he caught the pass uh, that went for 64 yards, 22.01 miles per hour. But right up his coattails was A-Chan on his touchdown run, reaching 21.76 miles per hour. Yes, wow. I believe uh, now the top eight speeds 
in the NFL are all Miami Dolphins. I'm not really one for the next-gen stats. Um, a lot of them sort of just kind of go by me. But that's one you cannot ignore. You cannot ignore. Um, if only, you know, Vance Joseph had uh, pre- prepared for their speed a couple of weeks ago. Just, just saying. Anyway, gentlemen, we are moving on to State Farm Stadium, where the Cincinnati Bengals were taking on the Arizona Cardinals. And for a while, just for a for a short while in this game, the Arizona Cardinals were leading. And I was thinking, you know what? Joshua Dobbs is really doing it. He had two touchdown passes in the second quarter, one to Marquise Brown, one to Zach Ertz. The Cardinals had a 14-10 to 10 lead, and then just before um, halftime, Camber Taylor picks off Joshua Dobbs, returns it for a touchdown, and in the second half, wouldn't you know it, we got a showing by Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase arrived on the scene, Joe Burrow looks like Joe Burrow, and oh my word, in that second half, the Bengals exploded. Uh, Joe Burrow looked absolutely fantastic in that second half. He finished the game 36 of 46 for 317 yards and three touchdowns, and Jamar Chase, 15 receptions for 192 yards, and wouldn't you know it, three touchdowns taking nothing away from joshua dobbs he played very well he did have two interceptions including that pick six uh did not get a lot of help from his running game but the bengals finally looked like the bengals that we've been waiting to see and uh, jake I'll, I'll throw it over to you very quickly because you you mentioned um jamar chase and joe burrow last week and uh, they would not really been looking like they were from last year. My goodness, do they do they come back with a vengeance in this game? Do you think this is a sign of things to come and the rest of the NFL should be on, on high alert? I think so. I think Chase had said he compared himself to a diner. He's 24-7. He's always open. Um, I think the most important thing for the Bengals was the fact that Joe Burrow was moving about. He uh, scrambled out the pocket and I was like nervous watching it going, oh my God, oh my God. He scrambled out, slid, got up, looked great. And I was like, oh my God, Joe Burrow can move again He because he's been a statue in the, in the pocket for the last few weeks. And to put out a performance like that, have the, the kind of movability, finding chase. Uh, they had no T. Higgins. It didn't seem to cause a problem. Um, the only bad news for me is, as a Saints fan, I'm really sad seeing Trey Hendrickson continue to absolutely ball out for the Bengals. What a sign, and he's been for them the last couple of years. Yeah, he's looked really good for them. And, of course, uh, Burrow and Chase are both the LSU boys as well. I mean, I know you'd have loved to have both of those guys over in New Orleans there. Uh, but the, they, they looked so good. The Bengals looked so good, particularly in that second half. Uh, the Cardinals just had no answer for it. And you have to think that if that's just the difference between Burrow being 100% and Burrow being 50%, you know, because he he was, we knew he was injured. The past few weeks, Burrow's been kind of injured. Everyone knows about it. We were seeing maybe even just don't play him for a week. Let him recover and then bring him back. Clearly, if that wasn't 100%, then oh my word, uh, look out next week when he is fully recovered because Joe Burrow was absolutely killing it out there. And Jamar Chase was just sensational uh, in that game. So what we're going to do, gentlemen, we are going to move it on 
The Philadelphia Eagles took on the Los Angeles Rams in SoFi Stadium in front of 74,935 people. And this game was down to the absolute wire. Down to the wire. But Hassan Reddick, who is a phenomenal player, really in the in the running for Defensive Player of the Year last year, um, he ended the Rams' final attempt at scoring, and the Eagles come away with a 23-14 victory. They remain 5-0, sorry, they, they improved to 5-0. The Los Angeles Rams dropped to 2-3. Dave, your team, a lot of positives in this game, but it's hard to beat a team like Philadelphia. And it, I think it just goes to show you, because the Rams did play well, but it just wasn't enough to defeat this Eagles team. Yeah, and uh, you'd think by now that defensive defenses across the league would know that you kind of need someone to keep an eye on Jalen Hurts uh, when when the pocket is closing on around him, when he's still in the pocket, that is, uh, to keep someone in the area of where he's going, which is what the Rams failed to do on defense. Um, but I tell you what, this Eagles defense stepped up against us. The, we had Cooper Cup back. Fantastic. I loved loved it. Loved seeing him back. My favorite guy back. Eight receptions for 118 yards. Puka Nakura is getting in the action as well because, well, we know I love him a lot. He's just he's the second Cooper Cup as far as I'm concerned. But, um, yeah, the, this, this Eagles defense was just something different. I, I, they, they seem to have stepped up a gear from last year, and I didn't think they we could say that, but Hassan Reddick, the amount of times that the the Rams offensive line, who weren't that bad, to be honest, they were just getting getting pushed back and heaved, and Jalen Carter is an absolute beast. He's just, he's one of the strongest defensive tackles I've ever seen, uh, to be quite honest. Um, and he, he got, also got two sacks, if I remember rightly. The bright spots for the Rams, though, Akilo Witherspoon, one interception, fantastic interception uh, in the end zone. Uh, now, he had a, a really tough day. I mean, anyone going up against A.J. Brown all day is going to have a really tough day. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, if I'm uh, one thing I took from this game, I am sick of those pink shoes. I am absolutely sick of the sight of seeing those pink shoes running, okay, because that is uh, just one of the most horrific sights that I took from my Sunday night was the pink shoes just running away from the from Rams. But uh yeah, Jalen Hurts was fantastic. They racked up three hundred yards. Uh he did he got that one pick. Matt Stafford, no picks, but he only threw for two hundred and twenty two yards. The Rams have a there's a theory ongoing in the in the Ramily, as the Rams universe is called. The Ramily. The Ramily. That's oh. what you know just and Rams Nation, we'll go for that since you know everyone else seems to have something nation. But every time we rush for under, I think it's sixteen or seventeen uh, attempts, we lose. It's just, it's just that simple. We, we we attempted fourteen times in this game, um, but I tell you what, the clock management of the Eagles really outdid us. That I think the it, the scoreline could have been a lot closer if we if the Eagles just weren't so good at clock management. Their, their drives were long and just awful for me or for any kind of neutral viewer whatsoever but yeah uh it, it, we've done really well up against the best teams in the nfc so far and i you know we we went up against the niners everyone knows what they think about the niners at this point everyone knows what i think about the niners 
we're up against last the the Super Bowl uh, runners up last year in the Eagles. We put we played it right. We we pushed them all the way. Who expected the Rams to be in this situation where they look like a team that could scrape a wild card playoff this year? Because I didn't. Yeah, both of you know I didn't. But at the same time, there's there's some hope. Um, I, I think we just need to get a running game back a bit and maybe cut out a few errors. We we. We're, we're, we're nearly there. We're getting there. Uh, also, one massive shout-out. The one thing the Rams might have got right in preseason that wasn't draft-orientated, uh, our punter, Ethan Evans. What a punter he is. He's he's one, one, going to be one of the top punters in the future. Uh, he had one massive punt of 65 yards at one point that pinned the Eagles right back, and he's quite accurate as well. So, uh, massive shout-out to him. But we just couldn't quite get it done. 23-14 loss. I mean, it could have got, look, uh, especially after the first half, it could have been kind of 34, 31, either team as well at the same time. But, you know, Eagles are 5-0, and and they're 5-0 and for a good reason. And the uh, the brotherly shove, as uh, they're calling it. Um, oh, I'm so sick again. of that. Oh. Uh, but the Rams, the Rams showed something, Dave. It doesn't work if it's over one yard. Because they stuffed them fourth and two. Um, so there you go. All you need to do is make sure they don't get to the one yard line or to fourth and one, and you're sorted. You can stop the a brotherly shove, as they're calling it in Philadelphia. Um, okay, gentlemen, we are going to move on and we come to the Kansas City Chiefs and the Minnesota Vikings at US Bank Stadium in front of 67,003 fans. Why three? Because Taylor Swift was not there. Otherwise, it would have been four. The Kansas City Chiefs came. With a 27-20 win, uh, win even, uh, and Kirk Cousins sacked on the final play uh, when they had the chance to go for a Hail Mary. Um, and this game was a funny one to watch because Kansas City, the, the, I'm going to I'm going to read the, the numbers here. Uh, Patrick Mahomes and uh, Kirk Cousins. So Mahomes was 31-41, 281 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. Kirk Cousins was 29 of 47 284 yards two touchdowns no picks total yards for kansas city 333 total yards for minnesota 329 it was basically the same team going at each other it, it it looked almost like the same thing however the chiefs came away here and the penalties despite the fact that the pen the penalty yards for kansas city 10 penalties for 86 the vikings only had four for 51 uh, but the third down conversions, 9 for 15 for Kansas City, 6 for 14 for Minnesota. And it just goes to show you two fumbles um, that the, the Vikings had. Only one was lost. That one turnover might have been the difference in this game. Uh, Mahomes has not looked like Mahomes recently. The past few weeks, they've been getting a little bit. I'm not going to say they've been getting some help from the refs. But they've been getting some favourable calls. Definitely in the Jets game, you could argue they had some help from the refs. But they've been getting some favourable calls, um, which we know teams uh, that, you know, the Super Bowl champions and the top four teams always get those. They seem to get those favourable calls. Uh, but there was a couple in this game that I was thinking, I'm going, I don't know. I don't know. That was a, that was a bit of a funny call. Um, and they come away with the win. The Chiefs are now four and one. The Vikings fall to one and four. Now, the Vikings are zero and three, I believe, or is it zero and four and one score games this year? And we talked about this before. Oh. The Chiefs are four and one, 
and are there four wins three of those have been one score wins so it you know the teams that can do it if you want to be a champion in the nfl or if you want to beat the champions in the nfl you have to be able to finish these games and the vikings weren't able to get it done that final drive just stalled out they couldn't do it and you just know that if that had been a a team of a, a championship caliber shall we say they would have been able to get the ball down the field get maybe you know at least get within range for a score vikings were you know, Cousins was sacked in his own half and that, that final drive there. Uh, it just wasn't good enough for them. But, you know, on the flip side of that, the Vikings do still have a lot of talent. We know they have a lot of talent. Although, I'm going to be honest with you, and Jake, I want to get your opinion on this very quickly. Alexander Mattison, who was supposed to take over from Dalvin Cook, just didn't look good at all in this game. Do you think that that one change alone, moving Dalvin Cook, is maybe the reason that the Vikings aren't, not so much aren't winning games, but the fact that they're not winning these close games where previously would because they would have that slight advantage over where they are today? What do you think of that? I'm not sure because you look at what Dalvin Cook's doing and it's hardly lighting up the world. Uh, I think it's kind of telling that the Vikings don't trust Madison because they went out and traded for a runner-back. With Justin Jefferson heading to IR, means he's out at least four weeks. They're saying, obviously, he's got his contract coming up. He's not going to play if he's not 100% healthy. Or do we see him again this year? The Vikings, they may have talent. They could be one of the teams that is absolutely going to blow it up before the trade deadline because Kirk Cousins is in his last year, I believe. They are fully primed to kind of rebuild um, Justin Jefferson's already said that he's not going to sign a contract with them unless he knows who the quarterback is. Basically, he's not going to lock in for four or five years if they're going to go, you know, draft a rookie who he doesn't particularly rate. So they're one of the more intriguing teams to watch over the next couple of weeks. And then for the Chiefs, that's thirty-one out of thirty-two teams Mahomes has beaten. The only team he's not beaten is the Chiefs. So will will he eventually do that? That line probably not. But you never say never. We've seen it happen a few times now. But the Vikings in this game, what things I saw, they were out of timeouts with nine minutes to go. And then on fourth and seven, they took a delay of game because they were all completely unorganized and had no timeouts. It's just silly little mistakes that cost you these one-score games. To me, things like that are what hurt you more than having a Dalvin Cook over a Madison. Succinctly put, Jake. Uh, Dave, I'll get your opinion on it <laughs> before we move on. Um, not so much that, but the, the Vikings, they're losing these one-score games. Last year, they were winning them. It's not all just about luck. They're not closing. You know, as Jake mentioned, they had no timeouts left six minutes into the fourth quarter. You you can't do that and expect to be competitive at the end of games where it's, you know, when you know it's a close game and teams are backwards and forwards. You've got to be able to have certain things to your advantage. And that's what these timeouts are for. It, it frustrates me when when you see a team, and I've watched my own team do it, I think, three times already this year, on the opening drive of the second half, burn a timeout. Like, what are you doing? Dave, what do you think? Well, as a Rams fan, I'm pretty much used to it with Sean McVay because he does not 
save his timeouts whatsoever because he's caught, he's what he does is constantly talk to the quarterback to Matt Stafford right up until that 15 seconds uh, b- uh, limit before the ball is snapped. And who is the Vikings head coach? Kevin O'Connell. Who did he learn his trade under? Sean McVay. So you know it could be a case that he's trying. He was he was doing that too much and falling into a trap. But um, yeah, and it, they they did have uh, at least one delay a game penalty if I remember rightly as well. So it's it's an interesting thing that they do have to sort out because you need at least one, even two timeouts when you're uh, behind, especially going into the fourth quarter. You can't afford these kind of mistakes. Um, the the other thing I, I noted as well. That's that play that you're bringing up about the referees. Now there was three no calls on that one play uh, that I I was just on. I was horrified for the sake of the NFL. Uh, so basically, what happened? Fourth and seven at the nineteen uh, at the at the Chiefs nineteen. Um, the Vikings took a, a delay game penalty. Uh, now Cousins chucked the ball into end zone near Addison. He was hit by Trent McDuffie. He was blitzing. Now, uh, there was a late hit, probably should have been called. Second one, Addison collided with Snead, what I would consider offensive pass interference. Penalty number two. And then when the flag was initially thrown, what did Snead do? He took off his helmet on the pitch. You cannot do that. And the, what the, and the referee did, instead of, call it, instead of telling him or uh, throwing the flag, he told him just to put his helmet back on. Kevin O'Connell was infuriated. I've never seen Kevin O'Connell that animated before than when he saw what happened on that play. That's an embarrassment to the officiating. And I'm afraid to say, we're, we're talking at least in one, two games every single week about these no calls or silly calls kind of thing. It's, you know, they're human. They've got a hard job to do. But when it's blatant, uh, you know, like a, a kind of... In, especially when the game's on the line, kind of thing for interference calls, it's it's not a great look for the league. Last year, the Vikings might have got those calls, and that's what led them to you know those very tight um, the, those tight wins. But some people would say that they they just don't quite have what they had last year that extra kick. Um, it could just be variance that you know you've got you've got some favorable things happening, and it's got it's got to even out at some point, but. Um, what you're saying about Madison, spot on. He's just, he's just not, he, he's not of the caliber of Davin Cook, and it's a team that are really, really focused on the run game in the last few years. The only other thing that I have heard though is that there are discussions about whether they should trade Kirk Cousins, as Jake was suggesting. Now, Justin Jefferson, what quarterback's going to be available? Because Daniel Jones. Jeff Jefferson's going to be out the door in a second if Daniel Jones turns up in Minnesota. Um, the other, I don't know. W- would you trade Gardner Minshew and get uh, Andy? There is no way. There is no way the Colts trade Gardner Minshew. It depends on Richardson's oh, situation. I think it no, does. It depends no, on his injury situation. If, well, if they do, if they even considered it, then they should be lined up and short. There's no way you've seen what Minshew means to your organization. He comes in and he plays at a level that helps your team to win. That if they trade, I mean, what would they do without him? Really, where would the Colts be without Gardner Minshew? It, it, that doesn't bear thinking about. 
doesn't be a thing no, to but it's uh, it's also the most cold thing that would happen ever <laughs> considering what's happened the last couple of years i suppose uh now speaking of things that don't uh <clears throat> don't bear mentioning we're moving on to empower field at mile high as they call it or a mile high stadium as i like to call it um where the new york jets visited the denver broncos in front of 76,387 fans watched one of the worst performances ever by any team, it just ever, and they still won the game. The Jets won this one over the Broncos, 31-21, despite fumbling four times and having an interception and just awful play calling. And if it hadn't been for Brees Hall uh, breaking off an incredible run, he looked fantastic. Brees Hall in this game looked absolutely spectacular. Hats off to him. Um, and then Bryce Hall recovering a fumble by Russell Wilson and taking it for a, for a touchdown. Uh, I'm starting to think that if Arsenio Hall had been out there, he would have scored against the Broncos. This was an absolute disgrace of a performance by the Denver Broncos because... The Jets shouldn't have won this game, but at the same time should have won it by 40 points because they made so many mistakes. The end of the first half, um, not getting a snap off with seven seconds on the clock when the ball went up. They couldn't get a snap off and the half ended. The, the Broncos just... And in the first half again, and, and, and I apologize, gentlemen, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But again, in the second half, the Denver Broncos were absolutely just garbage offensively. And I don't know what is going on. I don't know what Sean Payton is saying to his players. I have no idea um, what the plan is after halftime for some reason. This Broncos offense just shuts down at halftime. And then they come out in the second half and they simply refuse to play. Now, Russell Wilson this season has looked better than he looked last year. We all know that he's like fourth in the league in passer rating. He's thrown 11 touchdowns to two interceptions. He's got 1,300 yards passing. He's much better much better than he was last year but the rest of the team is just unbelievable the broncos defense is last in pass yards allowed per attempt it's last in rush yards allowed per attempt it's last in total yards per game it's last in points it's last in third down efficiency it's the worst defense that i can i have seen in a long long time and we are making other teams look good and we even make Zach Wilson look pretty good, although he did pick on Pat Sartan for once and got intercepted. Don't do that, Zach. Just just stop it. Hats off to Brees Hall. He looked great. But do you know, do you know the galling thing? The galling thing about this performance? Well, there was more than one. There was a lot of galling things about this performance. But there was a, a couple of points. Russell Wilson gets sacked for a safety. At one, well, he, he actually throws the ball away while he's in the grasp, uh, intentional grounding, and it's a safety. He must have sat there for about three full seconds in his own end zone 
uh, without throwing the ball away. The, the Whatever the play call was, was appalling. Russell Wilson should have known that that was the wrong call and audible to something else, although we know Sean Payton doesn't like audibles. Not the point. There was another series where Sauce Gardner, oh, in fact, in fact, I'll tell you, Sauce Gardner gets injured, right? He's out. He's not in the game. Now, any other offensive coordinator or coach or quarterback would see that and say, who on earth is number 24 or 25 for the Jets at cornerback there? Who's this guy? Practice squad guy come in to replace Sauce Gardner because he's had to go out. What are the Broncos dial up? A double reverse run where Samaji Pirine, instead of flipping the ball to Marvin Mims like he's supposed to do, chucks it practically over his head. Mims has to leap up. It fumbles it. That goes down as a Mims fumble. Mims also fumbled a punt. The opening punt. Fumbled the opening punt. We th- threw this game of the Jets to win. Abs- just threw it at them. Here, just take the victory. The Jets struggled to win this game. That offense was, te- with the exception of Brees Hall, the Jets' offense was utterly appalling in this game. They were hopeless. The difference was that the Jets fumbled four times, uh, lost one. The Broncos fumbled four times, lost three. And 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 the play calling. Now, the other the other thing I wanted I wanted to mention to you, because as I say, I was talking about the uh, the the Denver Broncos defense the first four drives in the second half went for negative yards total total they ended up with like i think it was minus two yards after four drives in the second half i i i can't i can't deal with this i just can't i don't know what's going on at halftime with these broncos they're it's utterly utterly abysmal They've got the worst defense by a mile in the entire league. And when the defense sometimes on an occasional drive looks good, the offense just completely falls to pieces. And I don't know what it is. Vance Joseph needs to be fired immediately. Why he's not been fired already is beyond me. After the Miami game, he should have been fired. It's it's just, it's it's pathetic. It's utterly pathetic. And I I run out of things to say. Because of how bad this team is. I thought it could. Do you know what else happened? At the <laughs> end of the game. At the end of this game. Do you know what happened? The Jets gave Nathaniel Hackett the game ball. Now the only reason he got the game ball. Is because of what Sean Payton said. What Sean Payton rightly said. And I, I don't like. I'm sick of people saying. Oh Sean Payton shouldn't have said this. And Sean Payton. Oh he's sitting there and he's having a go at another coach. Oh well if Nathaniel Hackett's so bad. What does that make you Sean Payton? Doesn't matter. Because Sean Payton was absolutely 100 correct. With what he said. Last year was the, one of the worst displays of coaching. In the history of the NFL. I'm not saying this year's is much better. I'm just saying that he was right about last year. This year, I don't know what's going on. The Broncos are absolutely imploding, self-destructing. It's horrendous. I struggle to see how it's going to get any better because the next the Broncos' next three games, two of them are against the Chiefs. I, I'd actually messaged Jake earlier on. I forget, was it Tuesday, Jake, when I messaged you and I'd said, um, thank the Lord. Thank the NFL schedulers 
that we're not playing the 49ers this year. Because if we were, we'd lose by 100. And and I I actually believe that. If we played the 49ers, we would it would be a record obliteration. And do you know what Russell Wilson said uh, said today? He said the Broncos because we've lost 15 straight to Kansas City and we're playing the Chiefs on Thursday night. Tomorrow night on a short week we're playing the Chiefs. Oh, lovely. He said that the, the Broncos need to do something historic to stop this 15-game set. Now I'm thinking, if the Broncos do anything more historic this year, it's just going to be another record <laughs> loss because we've already done historical things. It's historically the worst defense of all, of all time. Through five games, the Broncos have the worst defense of all time. This is, it's not, you know, people say, oh, you know, you'll be ranting about your Broncos again. Yes. Do you know Why? Because it's the worst of all time. Of all. T- I can't say that enough. It's terrible. Jake, if you're still there, if you're still with us, can you please say something? To You can't allay my fears, but please just say something that I might have missed about this game. Thank you. I don't really have anything on this game. It's pretty tall. Looked great. Like I said, I had that 72-yard explosive run, 177 yards in total rushing, and then the only other thing I had contradicts you. Uh, I just, John Payton should be in his words. You can't go out and say, this team sucked last year. Then you 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 hired Vance Joseph. You chose I, I, this yeah, defensive I, coordinator. I, I, I so know. I don't give Sean Payton a pass. The offense, yeah, has looked better, but it, it's still crap. Uh, and the defense is historically bad. So, yeah, you can't go out on national TV and say, this guy sucks. Uh, It was awful, even if you're right, because then when you lose to him, then, yeah, you look like an absolute tool. And the Jets gave him the the game ball, not because the offense won the game ball, they deserved it, because the players like Nathaniel Hackett, the coaches like Nathaniel Hackett. He seems like a nice guy. And to get publicly humiliated by another coach is absolutely bang out of order. Nobody does it. It's not a thing you do. It's an unwritten rule. You don't do it. So... Egg on your face, Sean Payton. You get what you deserve. I, I, I have no sympathy for Sean Payton. And I'm I, happy for Nathaniel Hackett. I'm not saying he deserved the game ball because the offense was good, because the offense wasn't good. Atrocious. The offense wasn't the reason the Jets won that game. But why can't Nathaniel Hackett have a nice thing? Look how happy he was, because to do that publicly in front of people and to beat down another man you know, for your own gain... It looks fine. You know, if the Broncos went 11, 12 wins, won a playoff game, everyone would be like, wow, Sean Payton was right. This team last year was awful, and he's coming and fixed this ship. He's coming and made it worse somehow because he chose a really bad defensive coordinator. When you've been out of the game and, you know, establishing your own staff, and you're going to come back with a bang after being a pretty mediocre analyst, maybe do it quietly, um, not a lot of attention on yourself because when you have these historically bad things everyone just looks and goes but you said this two weeks ago you said this three weeks ago so yeah you look like a better fool I mean he did put the crosshairs on himself by saying that he was still right with what he said it does it, yeah, but you can be right and wrong he's right <laughs> but he's proven it wrong because he is now the head coach of a worse team so if oh. last year was the worst coaching job in the in the world and you're now historically bad then you can't go, oh, well, last year sucked, didn't it, guys? This year sucks. T- two years ago, when, when it was it was uh, the Vic Fangio, Pat Shermer offense, and I was like, I, you know, this can't get any worse. 
and then last year it got worse. You don't know how good you had it. And then, and and now this year, through five games, it's worse. (laughs) So I'm thinking, where is bottom? The Broncos are legitimately, and I can't believe I'm seeing this. The Broncos are legitimately um, a contender for the first overall pick in the draft next year. You um, own your first round pick this time. We 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 do yes. Uh, okay, and well, the Broncos have never picked first in the history of the franchise. We've never had the first overall pick because the Broncos have never been the worst team in the entire league. Um, I'm looking at the Carolina Panthers there, sitting at zero and five. If we played the Panthers next week, I've got zero confidence the Broncos would win that game. Zero. No, I have no confidence. I, I now have no confidence. I, I'll still pick them to win in a pickums. You know I'm going to do that. I'm always going to pick the Broncos to win. But I'm doing it with zero confidence. And it's just painful. Dave, do you have anything to add to this game at all? That I'm, I'll add something before I I apologize, Dave. Jaleel McLaughlin. Jaleel McLaughlin looks wonderful. Take the words out of my mouth. He looks... Oh, apologies, Steve. Were you going to talk about Jaleel? Do you want me I, to... I, I, I was going to give one one positive and on one go. theory. And so the positive was Jaleel McLaughlin, who just... He, he looked fantastic. A kind of shining star in a very dark uh, atmosphere, I'm afraid to say. Um, so, yeah, he, he was magnificent. And I think he, he should have a very active role going forward uh, in the Denver Broncos uh, as on, on a whole... But I do have a theory, and I was discussing it with our very own Hugh McPhail today. He might have already said something to you, but it's a theory of the defense, and in particular, your cornerback. But I don't say Patrick Sertan. I mean Damari Mathis on the other side. He's not not had a good year so far. No, he's not. But there is a theory going around that Vance Joseph has adapted this defense uh, to... Uh, but focus almost purely on zonal uh, marking instead of man marking because Damari Mathis is constantly getting beat one-on-one. So what he was trying to do is find a zonal that will work. And the problem with that is, is that players like Pat Sertan cannot go and, you know, attack the ball quite like he can if he's, uh, you know, man to man. And, you're giving up the easiest yards and the easiest throws because all all a quarterback has to do, a, a semi-decent quarterback, even uh, Wilson, is going between the zones. You know, and that, that's basically what's happening every single time. They're not getting pressure there quick enough. But, yeah, I think maybe a trade or two coming uh, to improve that Broncos defense has to happen. Uh, and also a new defense coordinator has to happen for anything to improve whatsoever. Um, this was also the probably the worst I've seen the Broncos offense look all year, uh, which was an interesting thing to say. But uh, Russell Wilson made some bad mistakes and Sean Payton berated him uh, about it in public as well, which was not the nicest thing to see. But sometimes players need a kick up the backside. And I think so. Like in, in the case of like players like the performance of Damari Mathis, they need a kick into like orbit rather than you know just a, a, a little boot up the bum i'm afraid so uh, i'm and i 100 agree with you on the panthers i'm afraid i would pick the panthers in that scenario 
what I was going to say about Jaleel McLaughlin is this, and, and, and I, I'm sorry, guys, I'm just the last thing I say about this game. We will move on. I, I do apologise for uh, wasting your time here. Um, Jaleel McLaughlin touched the ball four times on the Broncos' opening drive, uh, touchdown drive, I should say. Uh, and then he touched it four times the rest of the game. He was he, he was electric. He's an electric player. Marvin Mims, who all year has been making just great deep catches, deep deep throw, one reception, four yards. Uh, for some reason, when the Broncos find something that works, they stop doing it. Now, they stopped doing it last year with Nathaniel Hackett. They stopped doing it the year before with Pat Shermer. They've stopped doing it. And they always, you get somewhere that works, oh, let's not do that again. Why would, why would we want to do that? Just, you know, ride the hot hand. Anyway, gentlemen, I apologise. I'm done. I know I know for a fact that Christian, Christian, who keeps, he's been on the podcast. He messages me almost every single week. He's now tagging me every week on Facebook because there's something about the Broncos being utter garbage. He's loving this. and I know he's going to have something to say about this. So, gentlemen, we are going to move on, though. We're going to move on from the absolutely ridiculous to the sublime. It was the Sunday night game. The Dallas Cowboys traveled to Levi Stadium to take on the San Francisco 49ers at Levi's Stadium, in front of 71,617 fans. And last week when I spoke about the 49ers, I said the key word here is efficiency. This week, the key word is efficiency. They did nothing different <laughs> to what they did before. They absolutely crushed the Cowboys, 42-10. to 10. It could have been more. Um, and I, I'm running out of superlatives. For this 49ers team, they are absolutely unbelievable. The defense swarms all over the place, and this offense just keeps on. It's like a train, just keeps on clicking along, and like it's on rails, and nothing can get in its way. Um, Dave, did you watch this game? What did you make of it? It was an incredible performance right across the board with one. Christian McCaffrey had one fumble in this game. Other than that, it was absolutely incredible. With him, they couldn't really get the run game going that much um, because he, he he's... I mean, he, he had one kind of decent run, but he had no runs over 10 yards, which is very unlike him. Uh, so what happens when your number one is not performing... You go to the number two in Jordan Mason, and he performs. So he and he got ten carries for sixty nine yards. Uh, so that's a lot better, uh, all things considering. But yeah, there, there was just it was just perfect. It was horribly perfect. And Dak had one of the worst games of his career. I mean, he, he did get the one touchdown uh, to Kevontae Turpin. However. The rest of the game was just so bad. 14-24, 153 yards. He was picked off three times, and, he had, and there was three sacks as well. That is painful. Um, and yeah, there was just no need for, aside from the extra points, of course, Jake Moody, the 49ers kicker, didn't even need to attempt a field goal because the 49ers were so efficient. They just kept getting it in. Um, but, yeah, I, 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 see, I see a team that barring a few injuries, are going to be incredibly hard to stop uh, in San Francisco. And a team that is 
so so patchy in the Cowboys that I just don't know what to make of them because they go they look like uh, in some games they're just going to romp the entire league. The rest of the time, they don't look like they're they they, they look like a team of individuals if that makes sense instead of a team. Uh, so they're they're just not performing. Some will play okay, the re- and the rest just won't pull their weight. So um, really disappointed from the Cowboys. And uh, yeah, just somehow Brock Purdy still hasn't got an interception, and it's just doing my nothing. Well, you know what time it is? It's it's Brocktober. Brocktober. Uh, the 49ers. <laughs> Brocktober. Uh, the 49ers. I mean, he threw four touchdowns, three of which to, to Kittle, which was nice to see. It really is surprise well it would be a massive surprise to me if it isn't the the 49ers eagles in the championship game and for for the cowboys they have historic battles with the 49ers but it's been very lopsided recently they've been knocked out of the playoffs two years in a row uh by the 49ers this was not even close and it's the dallas's most lopsided defeat since losing 49 to 17 to the saints in 2013 so a stingy defense just got picked apart by the uh Brock Purdy hype train. Uh, time for the Brock Purdy hype train whistle, Dave. <laughs> yeah, and and let's not let's not forget Brock Purdy didn't play the entire game. <laughs> he came out of the fourth quarter. He didn't even play the fourth quarter. Yeah, Sam Darnold came in. Yeah, Sam Darnold came in for the fourth quarter. The the Forty Niners crushed the Cowboys in this one. Absolutely crushed them. Sam, Sam Darnold's stat line is immaculate. One attempt. One completion, one yard. <laughs> Love it. <Absolutely. laughs> Shout out Sam Donald. Yeah, and he also carry minus one. <laughs> so he had all he did was two plays, not catch the ball. zero yards. Yep. I mean, efficient. That if efficiency is the name of this San Francisco team, um, th- this defense, as as I mentioned before, it's they fly. They absolutely fly. Fred Warner. Oh my word. They are they are so fast. But they don't look fast. Do you know what I mean? It's almost like they're just a step ahead of everyone. It's like, it's almost like they know where the ball's going to be. Do you know what this game reminded me of defensively? Um it reminded me very much of the Super Bowl where the, the Buccaneers played the Raiders. Uh, when when John Gruden's Buccaneers mm-hmm. basically knew the entire Raiders playbook, uh, because Dak Prescott just he looked like a fish out of water in this game. Like he had no idea what was happening. Every time he threw a ball, there was a 49ers standing there. It it was just it was unbelievable. This for you're you're right, Jake. Uh, 49ers Eagles. If I can't see another team in the NFC even close to these teams. It would be a miracle for any other team in the NFC to to challenge the 49ers and the Eagles as, as we stand through five weeks. It's just unbelievable. Uh, so, gentlemen, we are going to move on and we come to the Monday night game between the Green Bay Packers and the Las Vegas Raiders at Allegiant Stadium in front of 62,572 people and the Raiders come away with a win here 17 to 13 over the Packers bit of a close one not the highest scoring game we've ever seen obviously um not the most efficient game we've seen either although Jimmy Garoppolo I mean he was 22 of 31 208 yards he had one touchdown one pick um he was sacked three times jordan love 
does seem to have regressed. Um, and he had three interceptions in this game. None of them were particularly good. He just did not look good in this game. Now, a lot of that you can attribute to the, the Raiders' pass rush, but there was sometimes some of the throws Jordan Love was throwing were nowhere near receivers. Nowhere near them. Um, Jake, did you watch this game? It was it was not good if you were a Packers fan. I'm sure all Raiders fans are delighted, and as you already mentioned, Jacoby Myers. It was just, if anything, this just depressed me more for, for the Saints' capitulation against Packers because, like you say, since then, they've been very hot and cold and Jordan Love certainly doesn't escape that. Now, for the Raiders, you mentioned their pass rush. I mean, it was the Max Crosby show. He had a sack, four tacks for loss. He basically lived in the backfield. He was just constantly there. Um, Jacoby Myers, like we mentioned, stepped up, 775 and a touchdown. Now, the Packers passes over five yards. Jordan Love went 3 of 11 and all three interception. So anytime he tried to throw it more than five yards, it was just not good. Uh, the Packers' defensive uh, coach lining up uh, an outside linebacker on Devontae Adams is a straight-up fireable defense. I don't care if you won the Super Bowl last year. I don't care if you are the president of the United States. You should be fired immediately. You should not be allowed back in the building on the coach. Why are you lining up an, off, an outside linebacker on Devontae Adams with no? It's not like he, he was there, you know, to cover his own. He was man to man with Devontae Adams with no help over the top. Um, just bizarre. Uh, they are fifty four and six um, in first half of the last three games. They are down fifty four six. They've scored six points, give up fifty four. I mean, they just don't seem to get going. Um, but it's not all good news for the Raiders because again. I think winning has saved Josh McDaniel's job, possibly, because fourth and it says two, but it was more of a one and a half. They were up four, so you either go for it or you punt it. The one thing you don't do is kick a 52-yard field goal, because even if you score the 52-yard field goal, it's still a one-score game. They still get the ball. They can still score a touchdown and tie it or go for an extra. You know, it doesn't change in one-score game. You can punt it and pin them really far back with not much time to go, and the offense hadn't done much. You might win, or you go for it. And if you know if you don't, you know if you get it, game over. If you don't get it, well, it's still a one-score game. They they went for it. They missed it. They give the Packers and Jordan Love a chance. Thankfully, nothing came of it. And very thankful for Josh McDaniels because if not, it would be another one. I think it was last week or the week before where we were saying, "What on earth is he doing?" Because what, what are you doing? The, uh, the analytics back it up. But common sense backs up as well. It's what do, I don't understand the decision. A lot of these head coaches that get paid a lot of money and are a lot smarter than me, especially when it comes to football. What goes through your mind when you're up four and you think, well, I could kick a field goal and be up seven? What's the benefit there? It's still a one-score game. Make the smart move. It's not like you know, it's not like it's Peyton Manning and the Colts on the other side. The the, the Packers weren't moving the ball. They weren't going to score. So why give them a short field? Why why help them? Yeah, absolutely. Why help them? It makes absolutely no sense. Situational awareness seems to be severely lacking amongst offensive coordinators and coaches in the NFL. I don't understand it. But then we are talking about Josh McDaniels. The man's clearly not fit to be where he is. Um, Dave, did you watch this game? What were your thoughts on the Monday night game? 
It did, and it was absolutely atrocious to watch. Um, yeah, I mean, neither team could really run the ball very competently. Josh Jacobs had one big run for 24 yards. The rest, if you take that one run out of the equation, then he was 19 carries for 45 yards. Uh, so, yeah, it, it just it was one, one big run, and that was it from him. Jimmy Garoppolo, he looked decent in the sh- kind of short short throws, uh, the longest complete was 21 yards to Devontae Adams what Jake was talking about with the linebacker it was Preston Smith that he was lined up against I'd taken a note of that and it, it was just it, that that's just not fair That that's like you said, that's a fireball offender right there right then um, yeah, I'm worried about Jordan Love I he, he's had some moments where he looks yeah, he could be a good a good quarterback this, this entire game was not had none of these moments whatsoever. Three picks that were bad. Uh, he was sacked twice as well. Sixteen of thirty. You know, barely 50, making fifty percent completion rate. I, I think nobody in the AFC or the NFC has anything to worry about with these teams. I'm afraid to say. So, I, I think both teams need to move on. And again, two teams that should, in theory, be looking to make a few trades because some of the, some of them have some. Proper dross, as my grandmother would say, but also a shout-out to uh, Robert Spillane. Because going into this game, he had one career interception. Coming out of this one, he's now on three. So, yeah, fantastic for the for the uh, Raiders man there. Um, and, yeah, I, I'll talk about it later, maybe in random stats, something that happened in this game. But, uh, yeah, it was a game that I would recommend nobody watches back, is all I can say. And on that note, that wraps up our week five recap. So, gentlemen, what we're going to do now before we go into our week six preview, we are going to have our team of the week. So uh, we'll start with the offensive player of the week, uh, Jake McGee. Let's start with yourself. Who is your offensive player of the week? Uh, I went for Waffle House. Always open, 24-7. I went for Jamar Chase, 15 catches, 192 yards, three touchdowns. Welcome back. Huge performance there by Jamar Chase. It's good to see him back. Uh, Dave, who was your offensive player of the week? Well, I was between uh, the man I went for and Jamar Chase, but I went for uh, a man who's just lit up Chicago in Moore because his over 200 yards against Commanders was just astronomical and yeah fantastic play yeah he did really well uh, dj moore there uh, i'm actually going for a running back and i'm taking the guy that nobody thought uh was going to be any good once um oh my god i've forgotten his name <laughs> once jonathan taylor had signed his huge contract uh, zach moss with 23 attempts 165 yards and two touchdowns for the colts so i am taking him as my offensive player of the week uh we then come to defensive player of the week dave we'll start with you this time who was your choice for defensive player of the week I have to go for the record setting uh, Aiden Hutchinson um, of the Detroit Lions. You know, he's just fantastic with interceptions. I was going to pick a, a Saints man, uh, obviously Carl Granderson, because he had a fantastic game as well. And yeah, the, the pair of them were great, but I'm giving it to Aiden Hutchinson. Uh, Jake, what about yourself? I'm picking a man Dave just mentioned. But not the one you're thinking. I'm thinking of Robert Spillane. He had nine tackles, two pass defense, two interceptions. 
kind of a breakout game for him. Dave, give him a shout. I've given him a shout. Big podcast for Robert Spillane. Yes, but Spillane was fantastic in this. He, he was one of those players who really stood out, really stood out, particularly in that game, but you know, like through the week he did. But I'm actually going to give it over to Trey Hendrickson. I think he had an excellent game uh, in the uh, Bengals game against the uh, Arizona Cardinals. Um, he had two uh, solo tackles. He also had a pass defense, two and a half sacks, and a forced fumble. He was everywhere in this game he sort of got lost because of what Burrow and Chase were doing but Trey Hendrickson was absolutely magnificent in this game so he is my defensive player of the week uh, and now we come to our uh, unit of the week could be anything you want could be offense defense special teams I don't care Jake we're putting it to you first who is your unit of the week I went Homer this time. I went the Saints D. Uh, they allowed only 156 yards. They went 13 of 14 on third downs, 2 of 2 on fourth downs, 3 turnovers, 2 interceptions, a fumble, a pick 6, 2 sacks, 9 passes defense, 4 QB hits. Dominant. Um, Dave, before I put it to you, I should just say that um, that's exactly who I picked. <laughs> nice. You can, you can double it down. Doubling down! New Orleans Saints defense were incredible in this one. Uh, and they, they just made the, the Patriots look utterly hopeless and helpless out there. Yeah, I couldn't see anything past the uh, past the Saints defense. I was I was tempted, I'll be honest, I was tempted to give it to the 49ers offense purely for the efficiency, but uh, Saints defense, much sexier pick, so I've gone with that one. Dave, what about you? I anticipate at least one of you going for the Saints defense. So I thought I'd go, I'd, I wouldn't go for the triple one, um, but I'm going to give it to the offensive line of the Detroit Lions. And the reasons for that is because they allowed six pressures in the entire game with the center Frank Ragnar and right tackle Penny Sewell surrendering zero pressures. Uh, and also a strong day uh, with running the ball with uh, 5.3 yards per carry as well before contact. So... Yeah, a fantastic uh, offensive line there from the Lions just to kind of spice up the triple uh, or not give it the triple, I should say. Six pressures the entire game. Yep. Russell Wilson was pressured. Offensive line love. Russell Wilson Mm. was pressured six (laughs) times in the Broncos' final drive. Uh, That's ridiculous. (laughs) Including, including, and I'm not making this up because I was actually messaging the the, the group chat um, at least twice where the Jets rushed two players and got to Russell Wilson. It was pathetic. Anyway, sorry, I'm bringing the Broncos back up. I can feel the rage mm-hmm. rising inside me. Um, so there we go. That is our team of the week. And now we're going to move on, gentlemen. We are going to do our rapid fire week six preview. And we start on Thursday night <laughs> with the Denver Broncos after the Kansas City Chiefs and Arrowhead. You know, I'm picking the Broncos. I, see, I've given up on the actual pickums. I'm like dead last in the pickums. I don't care. I'm going to be very bold this week. I'm taking the Broncos to win. I'm taking, and it's going to be a high scorer because our defense can't stop anyone. But I reckon Russell goes off on one. Broncos forty-two, Kansas City forty-one. Holy. Okay, well I've gone slightly more realistic. The Chiefs are getting ten and a half points. I have them. <laughs> Still covering that. I've got the Chiefs winning 31 to 17. Painful. 
Well, this game, usually on the pickums that you get at least one of the teams with 2%. However, the Broncos are currently 1% of people have picked them in this. So it's this Nielsa. is the lowest. It was it's me. just Niels at this point. <laughs> only 100 uh, people selected it. It was me, was one of them. Yeah, that, that's, it's very worrying. But I'm, I'm actually, I'm going to pick the Chiefs, but I think it's going to be a, a little bit closer than that. So I'm going to go for 31 points to 27. Ooh. Uh, we then have the Baltimore Ravens at the Tennessee Titans. And I believe that the Ravens receivers will put some blue tack on their gloves for this game and learn to catch passes because I've got the Ravens winning this one. A low scoring affair, score of 19 to 16 to Baltimore. Oh, I thought we were going to match. I've got the Ravens winning 21 to 19. Ooh. I am going to go for a bit of a shot in the dark and say that the Titans are going to win. And I think they're going to win by 21 points to 17. Uh, we then have the Carolina Panthers traveling to take on the Miami Dolphins in Miami. I was hoping to just stick with all the way wins here, but there's no way. I'm picking the Panthers over the Dolphins. I've got them putting up 35 to 14 over Carolina. We're so close. Dolphins are getting 13 and a half points the most this week. I've got them winning 35 to 15. 45 17, I've got to the Dolphins. Was that 45 17, was it? 45 points to 17. We then have the Indianapolis Colts traveling to Jacksonville to take on the Jaguars. And uh, sorry, Patrick. I think the Colts pull it off here. I think Gardner Minshew actually performs and they win in overtime 20-17 to 17 against the Jaguars. I've got faith, even with the Jaguars coming off their, their two-week London escapade, uh, 26-17. to 17. Sorry, was that for the Jaguars? For the Jacks. Okay. No, I'm afraid I don't have faith. I'm sorry, Patrick, but I'm going for the Colts in this one. Uh, I, I do think it's going to be a, a close game, but I'm going to go 23 points to 19 for the Colts. Then I have the Minnesota Vikings challenge Chicago to take on the Bears. I think the Bears win. I do. They look good the last two weeks, and I'm picking them to do it again in this one. Another squeaker. It's going to be 26-24 to the Bears. Bears on the rise, the Vikings on the decline, no Justin Jefferson. And that's why the Vikings win 18 to 16. <laughs> Dave, what do you got? Yeah, the Bears are going to win from me. It's going to be 24 points to 20. We then have the New Orleans Saints traveling to take on the Houston Texans. Now, as we know already, CJ Stroud has looked good, but he's not seen this Saints defense yet. And they are going to be the death of him. Not literally, hopefully. Um, the Saints are going to win this one nice and handily, Jake. I've got them winning this one 28 to 6. How the hell do you have us scoring 28 points? I've gone 23 to 20. I think it's going to be very close. And it, this may be the week that CJ Stroud throws an interception. I think CJ Stroud will throw an interception, but I don't think it'll matter because I have the Texans winning this. I'm sorry, Jake, but I, I'm picking the Texans to win by 17 points to 16. I call yeah, that the Broncos realistic. score. That's a more realistic <laughs> state score. <like. laughs> it's, 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 the Saints are this year's Broncos. Oh, 
what Ouch. the Broncos are this year's Broncos. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, they're yeah, but no, they so flipped you, off we into defense. To, need to design a new phrase for the Broncos. <laughs> I, I think we do. Um, we then have the Seattle Seahawks traveling to Cincinnati to take on the Bengals. Uh, the Bengals turned it on this week. They're just going to ramp it up for next week. I've got them putting thirty-eight on the Seahawks in a thirty-eight to seventeen victory. I've been by myself on three picks, I think, so far, and this will definitely be the number four. I've got the Seahawks winning 27 to 25. I thought I was on my own in this. I have the Seahawks coming off the bye and winning. Wow. I have it, but I I think it's going to be a really surprising score, and I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. So I've got the Seahawks winning by 20 points to 17. We then have the San Francisco 49ers traveling to Cleveland to take on the Browns. Deshaun Watson is still not practicing with the team. I don't think it makes much of a difference. Guy's garbage anyway. Uh, San Francisco 49ers are going to absolutely walk this one on the Browns. I've got them winning by a score of 40 to 9. A bit more respect for the Browns defense, but I do have the 49ers winning 20 to 13. Yeah, but uh, I want it to be closer, but it's not. Fighting Irish is going to win. I've got 30 points to 20. Washington Commandos travel to Atlanta to take on the Falcons. I reckon the Falcons get their second win in a row at home, and I've got them winning this one in a nail-biter, 21 to 20. Well, the Falcons winning 24 to 20. Ooh, we're very, very similar, but I've got this game going to overtime, and I think it's going to be 24-24 with a game-winning field goal from Young Hoku. We then have the New England Patriots travelling to Las Vegas to take on the Raiders. Now, the last couple of weeks, I've picked the Patriots to win, and I'm doing it again. I think Belichick does something, whether it's just ditching Mac Jones entirely, leaving him in New England. Uh, I think he's going to get the better of Josh McDaniels, and they're going to win in a real, real horrible scuddy game, 13-10. to 10. I mean, the Patriots, that's bizarre. Patriots have lost Judon, they've lost Gonzalez, they look awful. That's why I'm also picking the Patriots to win 14-13. to 13. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I, I'm I'm gonna buck the trend. I'm I'm gonna pick the Raiders, but again, it's just it's gonna be garbage time. I think I've got them winning by twenty points to seventeen. We then have the Arizona Cardinals traveling to take on the Los Angeles Rams. Don't worry, Dave, I'm taking your Rams in this one. Although I've got it very close, I've got it going into overtime with the Rams winning this one, twenty nine twenty six with a field goal in overtime. But the Rams winning twenty four to twenty. Almost our first time of getting all three on the on the same page. I do have the Rams winning as well. I'm going to say it's fair. It's going to be fairly close, but I'm going to say that Rams are going to win by thirty points to twenty. We then have the Detroit Lions traveling to take on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I reckon the Bucks coming off that bye might give the Lions a wee scare, but it's not going to be enough. They're going to win this one by a score of twenty seven twenty four. I agree. I have this as my overtime game. I have the Lions winning nineteen to sixteen. Ooh, well, I've gone the complete opposite direction. I have the Lions winning, but in a very high score. I think the Lions are going to win by thirty-eight points to thirty. We then have the Philadelphia Eagles traveling to New York to take on the Jets, uh, and the Eagles will make the Jets look like the Jets, uh, like the Broncos didn't do, and they're going to absolutely kill them in this one. Unfortunately, uh, I've got the Eagles winning this one by a score of twenty-eight to nine. Yeah, one of the most bizarre lines: the Jets are only getting six and a half points 
extra against the Eagles, which shocks me because I have them winning twenty-seven to ten. Yeah, I've got the Eagles getting thirty-five here, and the Jets scraping to six points, thirty-five-six. We then have the New York Giants traveling to New York to take on the Buffalo Bills. Um, <laughs> you got to see it, don't you? Nice. Um, I like it. And the, um, I think the Bills do what they did after week one. They have a big comeback from their loss against the Jaguars. Uh, and I reckon they take out all of their frustrations on the Giants. I'm practically weeping for the Giants in this one because I think the Buffalo Bills are coming away with a 49-15 to win. I share the exact sentiments. And I actually lied earlier. The Dolphins, 13 and a half points. The Bills are getting 14 and a half or given 14 and a half. I agree with yourself. I think they are annoyed. They've got a few injuries and someone's going to take the beating. It's going to be the Giants, 48 to 10. Oof. I'm so close with you, Jake, but I've gone 38 to 10 for the Bills. And we then have the final game on the Monday night, the Dallas Cowboys uh, taking on the Los Angeles Chargers. And I've got the Chargers winning. I've got the Chargers winning. They're coming off a bye as well. And the Cowboys will be still be licking their wounds from San Francisco. And I've got the Chargers winning in a high-scoring affair because I don't think they've got the same defense, obviously, the Chargers. I've got them winning this one 38-34. to 34. Well, I think the Chargers, with their incredible home field advantage, will also win thirty-one <laughs> to twenty-eight. Oh, I I've actually got the exact same score as you, Jake, but for the Cowboys, I've got thirty-one points to twenty-eight, and this is the game of the Pickums that is fifty-fifty. No one knows what's going to happen. <laughs> and that wraps up our week six rapid fire preview. So, gentlemen. <clears throat> We have time for one last segment, and it is, of course... Random Stats. Random Stats. Random Stats. Random Stats. So who would like to go first for Random Stats this week? Jake, uh, when you didn't go first last time, did you? I don't keep track. Neither do I. Do you want to go, Jake? <laughs> I will go. It meant a, kind of a, a two-for-one. Normally, mine are very short and sweet. This one's a bit of a two-for-one. Alvin Kamara ran in for his 73rd career touchdown, which is now the all-time Saints record. Uh, but I wanted to also kind of tag on that he overtook Marquez Colston. Marquez Colston never made a Pro Bowl, despite having 900 or more yards in eight of his 10 seasons. Arguably one of the better seven round, uh, seventh-round picks. Um, obviously, Brock Purdy, we always talk about Mr. Irrelevant. Maybe he could go down as the best, but... Colston's got to be in with the mix, and the fact he never made a Pro Bowl is is criminal. It's criminal, actually. Colston's always a great player. Great player. That's shocking he never made a Pro Bowl. Mm. That reminds me of uh, uh, a very good stat. It reminds me of... Uh, I'm sorry, Dave. I'm sorry, Dave. <laughs> it reminds me of an ex-Broncos player, Simon Fletcher. He... Um, he was a defensive lineman. He was an edge rusher before edge rushers were a thing. Sometimes he would line up a defensive end. Sometimes he'd be an outside linebacker. He was just an edge rusher. And he never made a Pro Bowl, even though one year he set an NFL record with like, I think it was 10 consecutive games for the sack. Never made a single Pro Bowl. He finished with over 100 sacks in his career. Unbelievable. Just criminally underrated uh anyway sorry total tangent to apologize uh dave what's your random stat 
I'll go for, I've got two fairly small ones. So I'll, I'll give the first one in that uh, the Patriots have now got, had 33 offensive drives without scoring a touchdown after the game last weekend. That is the most in Bill Belichick's head coaching uh, history. 33 drives without scoring a touchdown, which I know everyone on this podcast will be very upset about. Is that, is that consecutive drives? Yes. Think of the last two, the two games. That's right. They've the only scores. scored three points yeah. in the last two games. Oh, three points. They, and, and I think that they've only got into red zone once in... Well, well they've got into the red zone once in the last game, if they even did. So it's like once in one game or once in two games. But that's just unreal. Incredible. <sighs> that's, that's rough. That's rough. <laughs> yeah. But I'll give you the second one as well. It's actually a nice story. I did mention that there will be a random start around the Packers-Raiders game. Um, in that what happened in that game was that the two kickers were brothers. So you had the Carlson brothers that were there. Um, so obviously we had uh, Daniel Carlson, who is the Raiders kicker and considered one of the best in the league. Uh, but then you had a rookie on the other side. Um, and, you know, the parents, uh, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Uh, Carlson, very happy to see their younger son, Anders, come in and be the kicker for the Packers. Um, so, obviously, that was, he's a, you know, he, he's got the kind of bragging rights over his, uh, no, sorry, uh, Carlson has his, the bragging rights over his brother there. But um, it's only the sixth time that there's been kicking brothers in the league. Now, the last pair of brothers that were both kickers in the league do you have any idea? It would be around the 2000 mark. Brothers. Mm. Unique names, shall we say. Oh. Oh, I was going to call it like Feely. I know Jay Feely, but I don't know if he had a brother. That, that would mm. be my guess. No. It would have been the Grammaticas. I so didn't know there was one... two of them. I thought oh, it was yeah, just one yeah, guy absolutely. playing for two teams. I thought... No, it was. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought when I was watching watching the Packers. Every, every time I hear the name, every time I hear the name Grammatica, I just think of one guy. Mar, it would be Martin Grammatica. He was in the league for nine years, from nineteen ninety nine until two thousand eight. Because yeah. he spent ten years in the league. However, Bill Grammatica was in the league from two thousand one to two thousand four. They were the last kicking brothers in the league. But um, yeah, I mean, probably the most famous ones though. Uh, were the Barr brothers. Do you remember them, Neosa? Right, so there was Matt Barr, there who was, played for yes, he... about 100 years. 16 years, uh, yes. Uh, yeah, it, it felt like 100. He was always there. <laughs> it did, yeah. Um, no, I can't think his, who his brother would have been, though. His, his older brother was Chris Barr, and oh. Chris Barr was in the league from 1976 until 1989. Oh, he played so he for a himself. He, he did indeed. Um, well, the, see, the thing about the, those brothers is that um, not only did they play for so many teams that it's hard to kind of establish. Well, they, you know, they they didn't, but they didn't. They weren't very famous. You know, if you ask, if you ask most people that are NFL knowledge worthy, the bars aren't going to be that kind of well known. But uh, Chris Barr played for the Bengals and then the Raiders. Uh, for the majority of his career. Um, and he was actually a two-time uh, two Super Bowl champion uh, in his career as well. So 
yeah, I, I mean, they, well, we know we know kickers don't get enough kind of attention. We love special teams on this podcast. So, uh, big shout out to the Carlson brothers. Became the sixth. Uh, they were they were not only the sixth uh, bro- kicking brothers to be in the league. They were the first ones on prime time, and yeah, they 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 made history in that game. So very nice. Good on them. Yep. Very nice. Love that. Thank you very much, Steve. Okay, my random stat <clears throat> concerns a Hall of Famer. Um, made seven Pro Bowls, one-time All-Pro, two-time Super Bowl champ. He made the Hall of Fame All-1990s team, and he was the 1996 Walter Payton Man of the Year, and his name is Darrell Green, cornerback for the Washington. Many names. <laughs> <laughs> he played... 20 years in the NFL at defensive back from 1983 until 2002 and 2002 um, he only started four games although he participated in all 16 but that the, my random stat is that that was the first year that Daryl Green played that he didn't have an interception he had an interception in all 19 seasons prior to the 2002 season. And that is literally my random stat. One of the greatest cornerbacks of all time. One of the, he was a, the NFL's fastest man for uh, several years in the, the late 80s, uh, early 90s there. Um, so Daryl Green, an interception in 19 consecutive seasons. I have no idea if that's a record or not. I'm assuming it is, just because of the longevity. Um, so, yeah, Daryl Green, 19 years with an interception for Washington. I see. I quite like that. Uh, it's, it's, it's a change-up for yourself, I think, I would, I would say. Because you, usually yours are story and you set the scene and then you bring it in. But then that was just straight to the point and boom, just there we go. A literal, out there. Yeah, a literal random stat. And that's the stat. Donald Green had an interception in 19 consecutive um, seasons. I mean, that in itself. Oh, yeah. 20 years as a defensive back. That's ridiculous. I mean, yeah. it's ridiculous. I, I, th- he was, it, I he don't was, think it could happen now. I don't think someone could really do it now. That, no, the game's changed too much. He was 42 yeah. in 2002, and he was playing defensive back for Washington. 42 years old. It just goes to show. So the thing was, that when Daryl Green lost half a step, he was still faster than almost every receiver he went up against. Mm-hmm. Much in the same way that, that Deion Sanders was. When he, when he became a bit slower, he could still keep up with everyone because it didn't matter. When Tidy Kill loses a bit of speed, I don't know, 10 years from now. He's still going to be one of the fastest people in the NFL. It's just because that's how fast he is. So, yeah, there we go. Gentlemen, did we miss anything before we wrap up for this week's edition? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. I think just, uh, I, I just, I did just see uh, one little uh, stat though. It's not even a stat. It's a grade. So uh, the highest graded defensive rookie, uh, Jalen Carter, and it's not even close. Doesn't uh, surprise me. 92.2 was it was his grade uh, with, um, even though he's uh, been out injured, Christian Gonzalez, 80.8 was the next one. It's not even close. Maybe next week we'll check in on our predictions at the start of the year for our offensive player of the year, MVP, 
Maybe check in at some point. Maybe not next week, but maybe halfway through the season. We'll, we'll check in and see how we're all getting along. We will do that after week eight. We'll, we'll do it, and then we can... I know it's not halfway through the season because of the 17 weeks, but we'll do it after We'll do it after uh, week eight. We'll actually revisit our predictions, uh, and we will revisit who we thought was going to lead the league in passing, rushing, and all that kind of stuff. I know mine are absolutely awful this year. Again, just like last year. Terrible. Uh, we bonus random stat for you. Um, the Broncos defense is currently allowing seven yards per play this year. Don't need four downs against the Broncos. You just need two. You two. You only need two. It's Four and a half, really. A, a, seven yards per play. Wow. That's amazing. I just thought I would finish on a high note there. On <laughs> a positive finish on a positive unlike the Broncos offense does usually finish a negative it's just yeah, I had to do that had to do that anyway I knew it'll give guys like Christian a laugh he hates the Broncos obviously because he's a Raiders fan uh, gentlemen thank you very much uh, Dave thank you very much no at all thank you for having me and this podcast is brought to you by high blood pressure pills <laughs> Jake Jake thank you very much I was really hoping you were going to go into a full spiel like uh, the American adverts. I w- uh, alas, maybe, maybe we'll work on that. Uh, yeah, I'll do that. It'll, we don't have enough time to list all the side effects, unfortunately. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> thank you guys for coming <laughs> along. Uh, thank you, everybody, for uh, listening. Don't forget, you can catch us on Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it, uh, at The WinFL Show. And uh, we will see you on next week's edition of The WinFL Show. <laughs>